We are live. Here we are. We have soda waters in hand, straws on the ready. We are joined yet again with a guest. Back-to-back guest episodes. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we have the hilarious Jessica Coyle here with us. She is uh, an ESL teacher, a podcaster, an improv master, just all around hilarious person. And we got the pleasure of watching a movie with her and recording with her. So we got a double dose of Jessica for this episode. And I'm just so excited. Jessica, how are you doing? Oh, I uh, honored beyond measure. Uh, <laughs> how nice. Wow. Uh, I want to write that all down into a greeting card and keep it for myself and just like tack it up next to my bed. <laughs> and anytime I'm feeling like down on myself, you're like master improviser. That's what that's what they say. Certain yeah. podcasters have said. Uh, and then I'll and then I'll just feel amazing for the rest of the day. I mean, I, I don't I think maybe if this whole podcasting thing doesn't work out and then the tech stuff I do doesn't work out. I'm gonna start writing Hallmark cards. You should. Um I, I think that they're I don't know that it's a growing field. I don't know that <laughs> so many more people are writing uh greeting cards these days, but it's uh you know, I still th- say go for it. Uh follow your dreams. You could be responsible for reviving cards, Tony. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. you could make cards great again. Let's bring back the paper industry. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, bring it right back. And you'd be the most unlikely person to do it because you can't write. <laughs> we, well, it depends on the definition of write, right? Uh, you can True. write with, with, your, with your mouth, which is great. Uh, with the words, the words that you paint will paint a card that no one will ever. What's your first? Okay, let's let's make something more generic. What would you write? Uh, what would you write for a Mother's Day card? Hi, mom. Good so far. That, no, that's that's. Oh, that's it. Okay, there. simple. See what I like is I like those cards that you pay extra for because you get more space to write in them See, okay. because that's you save on ink and on thinking. I love it. I love it. I, (laughs) you know, I don't, I don't really like when the card says a lot because it's like, I don't, do you really agree with that? Like you are the sunshine (laughs) of my morning. Every day I look at you and it's like a fresh uh, cup of coffee and I breathe your air and the scent is, is air. I'm like, why, who, you really, you think all this? (laughs) You know what the worst is when you open a card and it has like paragraphs inside, but then money falls out. And you have to read like a whole story, <laughs> pretending you didn't see ah. a $20 bill was in the card. You have to like, oh, and then it says, hi, how are you? Hi, mom. And then <laughs> the whole time in the back of your head, you're like, when am I going to buy that Amazon gift card? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I like the idea of if you could just say, hi, mom, there's money here. You know, right. <laughs> you're giving your mom money <laughs> yeah. and then you jump right to it. Uh, well, I want to mention before we move on that you are also on uh, my podcast, Made Up Talk Show. So so you are also hilarious improvisers uh, and your episode where you uh, really went out very left field for you guys and you evaluated films. Yeah, we tried to take a bit of a leap on that one. Yeah. That's yeah. like totally outside my wheelhouse. <laughs> the only time that, I, that I've ever done any kind of live theater or performance it was when I was like 11 years old and it was Shakespeare in the park and there was a massive rainstorm, rainstorm like on my second line in the play. And like we all had to evacuate. So I have severe like performance anxiety. Mm. And so, yeah, that was a lot of uh, a lot of fun for me, actually, though. You guys are awesome. 
Well, I'm so glad to hear that because it's a very charming and funny episode. And I encourage any of your listeners to go check out the episode of Made Up Talk Show that has you guys on it. It'll have, I forget the number, but it'll have your names on it. So uh, go back and listen. You guys did great. Thanks. Yeah, it was really, really fun. I I said this on the podcast when we did it with you, but I used to do improv quite a bit. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I took a break. Not intentionally, just I was doing it in high school and then I went to university and there wasn't really a space for that, or at least I wasn't part of anything. And doing it on your show really sparked it in me and I wanted to do it again. It's so fun because really it, it's just conversation, right? But like mm-hmm. to the extreme, like you get to just be goofy and let loose. Well, fortunately, unlike um, the greeting card industry, uh, the podcast industry is exploding more and more every day. So if you're looking for another comedy podcast to go on, I've got some good news for you. You probably just pick up a rock and throw it into the digital space. And there are more shows that you guys can get on. That's true. But how many podcasts do you think there are where they just write Hallmark cards? (laughs) Huh. Not as many as there should be yet, but I see a future. I see a spinoff show of right. uh, of Cripple Threat podcast where we get, it's just, it's called P- Hallmark Threat. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a threatening Hallmark card. <laughs> Jessica, how did you get into improv? Uh, well, I did a lot of uh, sketch comedy writing and performing when I was in college. And then when I went to uh, teach English in Korea, uh, I wanted to, to, you know, meet people and have fun. And I joined uh, an improv troupe over there. And that's where I met Maggie, who was a former guest. Uh-huh. That's where I met Mark, who was another one of the co-hosts of Made Up Talk Show. Um, and I just fell in love with this spontaneity and the freedom of it and uh, i've been doing it ever since so it's it's as you know as you know anthony it's just such a blast to get to make something up spontaneously like that it's also like i just said but it it does feel like conversation and i think the the two sort of go hand in hand like if you're a good conversationalist i think you're naturally going to be pretty good at improv and vice versa because you just have to think on your feet and find a way to just yes and your way to oblivion mm-hmm. and listening you know the, the to picking up on what people are saying you know so noticing is so important and that's also so important for conversation as well right what's that you said <laughs> see look at you you're an improviser <laughs> yes, <laughs> call back another comedy thing ding dong there you go oh man that's such an uh a good point. Like you really can't be an effective improv comedian if you're unable to a hold a conversation and b like empathize and listen to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can be, but you're not a very good one. Uh, right. You know. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people just lean toward stand-up comedy instead because it's you just have to listen to yourself. And you know, if you have the impulse to be funny, but you don't really enjoy, but you know what, stand up comedians also really have to listen because they have to observe and notice. But that's why that's my favorite kind of comedian is really observational and yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, some of my favorite comedians started in improv. Mm-hmm. Who are your favorite comedians? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, the first word that comes to mind is like Steve Carell. Uh, who started in improv, and he's not a stand-up comedian, but just the way he he's so good at yes, ending his way through a scene. How about you, Jamie? Who do you love? Uh, tough question. I, Stephen Colbert comes to mind. Uh, he's Stephen a very so far. Yeah, he's a very good. Uh, 
talk show host. I think uh, his run on The Tonight Show has been really interesting uh, just because you get to see the other side of the coin with him. And not only is he funny, but he's very warm simultaneously, which is kind of a hard balance to strike because typically like there's a kind of through line of cruelty to the most like acerbic comedians, but mm-hmm. it's not really in him unless he's being like Colbert of the rapport or whatever. Yeah. So I really like him. I think he's like thunderously smart, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Good adjective. Wait, good adverb as well. <laughs> thunderously. Um, I also there's a comedian uh, called Maria Bamford. Oh, I love oh, Maria yeah. Bamford. Yeah, oh, so yay. She's super underrated. She, uh, I'm very partial to people who can do voices. Is she underrated? I think she's popping. Well, like she's had her own TV show on Netflix yeah. uh, from Mitch Hurwitz, and, and she's had a number of specials. So she is kind of bigger rated. now than she was 10 years ago, but she's still kind of niche. Yeah. Like if I talk comedy with people who are stand-up nerds, frequently they don't know who she is. <clears throat> but anyway, so yeah. And then it, it, it's kind of a uh, of a strange space now because there's so many comedians in hot water for uh, like bad takes uh, politically and interpersonally. And like, I can't lie, there's a lot of those alumni I like am or was huge fans of in the past. I'm guessing and- Louis C.K.? Yeah, or mm-hmm. you, you know, Chappelle, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to reconcile that fandom with like what they kind of have done of late, and the inability to course correct or atone or whatever. So, and it, it this is kind of a a difficult subject, I guess, to navigate. But anyway, I love stand up overall. Like, I'll give any comedian a chance, and I love going to. Uh, stand-up comedy clubs and i i love the vibe of the mm-hmm. of uh those clubs mm-hmm. and just like the, the chemistry between uh an audience and a comedian in in a live performance is unmatched like when you're laughing in a stand-up club it's it's completely different from watching something on netflix or like mm-hmm. yeah. a film or something like that you know absolutely yeah it's a magical moment i mean that's the, that's why like you know there was a oh gosh I'm, I'm blanking right now but there's a recent uh Netflix improv special that came out that I'm, I'm it, and it was good, but watching an improv show being performed mm. is harder because you don't. There's that electricity yeah. of being in the moment that gets lost. Right. Yeah. The uh, you're talking about the show with Will Arnett, I think. Right. No. No. It's uh, it was a twofer. It's literally improv. It's it's oh, okay. filmed improv, and I'm I, I can't believe I can't remember it, but it's uh it's the guy from the uh, anyway it doesn't matter but um <laughs> it's literally on a stage and it's three nights and um ben Sh- is ben schwartz in it not ben schwartz uh one of those kind of like thomas middleditch yes yes middleditch yeah. and schwartz that's right middleditch and schwartz thank yeah. you so much yes that's right and it's fun and it's good and you can tell that they're extremely talented but mm-hmm. there's it doesn't translate yeah. Yeah. There's something about like the the risk that a person takes to go up in front of a crowd, and you can feel it more so when you're actually a member of the crowd mm-hmm. than when you're watching it on a screen. And mm-hmm. so I have tremendous respect for somebody who's willing to do that because it's like a very raw thing. And then to be able to make perfect strangers laugh, like, it's one mm-hmm. thing to make someone laugh who knows you and understands you, and th- like there's plenty of shared context. But perfect strangers, like that's a whole other ball game, and so 
It's like one of my favorite things in the world, comedy. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I've been recently revisiting the, you know, the Taika Waititi, Reese Darby, Jemaine Clement, like all of those guys. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm rewatching Flight of the Concords. I just finished Our Flag Means Death, which is like it deep in my heart now, like one of my favorite shows of all time, um, like uh, um, Par- Wellington Paranormal. Just I think that there's something magical about the same six people working together over uh-huh. a lifetime, too, that is you just like it's so cool seeing interviews with Reese Darby and Taika Waititi from 15 years ago. And, you know, they're on the same they're on a show again today now. Like, it's fantastic. Um, when you performed improv, was it often with a troupe of your friends? Yeah. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. so very rarely with like perfect strangers. Right. Oh, yeah. Not really. I mean, and uh, like and. And Ben Schwartz and Tom Middledish have been performing together for years. So Mm -hmm. they they have a really tight bond. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where some of my most close friendships have come from in my life is people I've performed with. Like three of my neighbors, like people I've traveled with, people who's who I've gone to weddings with like that. It you form such a bond with people over that. That's just really magical. I'm you know, you guys are doing it right now when you perform with someone, you build something with someone, you know. There is something vulnerable about, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to make a joke that you don't know is going to work, especially when it doesn't work and you Mm -hmm. have to work through that together. And so there is, it's kind of a shortcut to being closer, especially when you're doing it live in improv, because that's all you have is like, you can just get the kill where you eat on, on stage. And like in a podcast, you know, we can make some edits to make a joke work better or cut a bad joke out. But mm-hmm. when you're on stage and you're performing, it's live and none of it's rehearsed, it, it, it doesn't really get much more raw and vulnerable than that. Yeah, the lows are really low, too. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I got I got scolded to get up off the floor once after a performance when I just literally melted onto this dirty floor in a puddle. <laughs> or like, Jessica, don't don't be on that floor right now. Get up. Oh. <laughs> you know? Oh, that feeling. But the highs? Incredible. Astronomical. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking one other example of groups of uh, performers that have really good comedic chemistry. It's like Edgar Wright and his entire body of work. He He's often with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Right, and yeah. Mm-hmm. There's one other female British comedian. I can't remember her name, but she was integral to Spaced. Very good as well. But it's like, and then of course, like Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. It's like when, uh, when multiple comedic voices work together and complement each other, eventually they develop a chemistry that mm-hmm. can produce something that lasts like forever. So that's why people still talk about The Office and uh, Edgar Wright's early works. Like, yeah. If you had to define it, Jessica, what can you define? What you look for in like an improv group or partner? Like, is it? just super intangible oh um gosh i what do i what do i love in somebody to improvise with um kindness warmness eagerness to build somebody else up playing off of somebody else's energy eagerness to jump on the idea um maybe a slightly like um uh somebody else that i performed with uh dennis pacheco who has a show called pursuit of perfectness he is so chill and calm and kind in a scene and like Mm -hmm. i know that whatever i bring him he's gonna like kind of receive it and honor it and respond and with a different energy than me but which is always honoring you know i can come up and be like look the dog's gone and there's nothing we can do about it it's in the cement mixer it's gone you know (laughs) and he could say something like he would respond like 
like you can cry if you need to, you know, (laughs) like like he'll he'll receive it and he'll say, "Okay, Jessica has just said something that is absolutely batshit crazy to me. (laughs) But like, what can I give back? You know, like and that's an amazing quality because I'm 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 a very spontaneous, uh, full energy, very like no holds barred performer. And it helps to have somebody else who's going to match me, but like not in intensity, but like match me in the commitment to the idea. Right. Mm. Well, yeah, it also gives you that freedom to explore, right? When you mm-hmm. know that it's a safe space, they're not going to judge you or you're not going to like shut an idea down. Yeah. I mean, if that, so like in that same scenario where I said, look, the dogs in the cement mixer, like I think a, a, a sort of dangerous impulse for somebody might be like, and the baby's lost. You know, you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to add a crazy thing to what right. I just said. You want to like, oh, my gosh, the dogs and cement mixer, what? Right. You know, like, let's work with that. You've given me a lot, you know. One one uh, one thing that Anthony does uh, for me or to me on a frequent basis is um, I will oftentimes kind of veer into territory that I'm actually not that comfortable talking about and I'll try to back off of, <laughs> of it and he'll be like, no, no, wait, go back. Where uh-huh. are you going to go with that? And he he doesn't let me let go of the things that I'm mm. uncomfortable with. Doubles which down. Is, yeah, which is, and, and that it's the same for a comedic concept or something a little bit more personal or perhaps uh, difficult to di- digest or process, like harder subjects. And so you, I just end up going places where I wouldn't without him. And so then it, it is better that we are doing this together. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. And you compliment each other and maybe, maybe you do some grounding for. for yeah, definitely. Like if this was just me, I would veer off into some bizarre tangent, say some ridiculous thing that I would later immediately regret. <laughs> and Jamie's very good at being like, let's, Talk about the movie we're here to talk about, please. Right, 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 right. Important. <laughs> that is an important part of the podcast, to be sure, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, it is a great hook. And I I admit, yeah, like, we definitely need each other. And also, those movie discussions would be pointless without Jamie. Like, I don't offer anything to those beyond, again, fart jumps. That's not true. But I'm really not like fishing for you to i I need you to just be like that's true (laughs) okay yeah good point i bring all the film content thank you appreciate it (laughs) but you have just because you don't have the i mean you you still have your uh response is valid (laughs) all right good that's what we're looking for good okay great there we go that was a good one i was i struggled to make a fart noise with my mouth i don't i don't know that i would oh that we have a soundboard. That was a soundboard. Was it really? <laughs> I thought you did that with your mouth. No, <laughs> wow. I wish. Oh, man. I really tried. In a recent episode of Made a Talk Show, uh, I really tried to make a fart sound on my arm, and it was just like, <laughs> it sounded so bad. Do you do any impressions of people or objects? Uh, uh, I don't do impressions. I have some voices that I, you know, pull out. I used to voice oh, act in Korea. What are your favorite voices? Um, so, like, I used to voice act in Korea. So, like, I have some, I have some, you know, various, I, I, gosh, I'm on the spot now. Oh, well, you know, like, you might need to be, like, a teen boy for something for some reason. Uh, but it's not, like, great, but, like, kind of Bart Simpson-ish, you know, kind of. So, like, I don't know. That's it's really, like, those are awesome. Yeah. So, 
it's, it's been a while. It's, it's been a while since I got paid to do weird children. I in uh, <laughs> like weird sounds for a while. You know, I used that, that was my job for a while was uh, mostly like reading educational texts. But it would be like girl one, girl two, hippopotamus one, giraffe one. I was like, I don't know who this hi- giraffe is, but I guess I'll give her this voice. You're like, what's the backstory of this giraffe? Yeah, tell me more about this giraffe. <laughs> she an outcast? Is she friendly? I don't know. What is your process when you come up with a new... Are you just sitting in front of a microphone making noises? Or are you, like, working backwards from a character? Oh, it's literally like... Well, back... You know, this was eight years ago in Korea. And it was literally like, I'm making 50 bucks sitting in this uh, in this booth. And I'm not going to get the 50 bucks if I can't make this voice. So I guess I'll just give it a try. You know? And wow. see what happens. So you just pulled that out of nowhere and it was amazing. Oh, thank you. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But it, it, honestly, there's people who do it way better than me. And they're still in Korea or they're in L.A. And they're getting paid Boku bucks to do it. I mean, I'm not a character voice expert, but that does not sound any worse than anything I've heard. That sounds just as good, if not better than a lot of the... All right. Uh, we need to... We're going to have you write a Hallmark card to the people who are making Madagascar Part 7 or whatever and get me in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll put that, that'll be the first episode of my new podcast. Where I write oh, right, right, Hallmark right. Cards. Hallmark threat. <laughs> Hallmark threat. Yeah, just great. Right. Can't wait. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, like if they ever do a casting call for another sibling of Tina Belcher, then you could totally be on Bob's Oh, my dream. Kristen Schaal. Uh, what's his face? Oh, the guy who plays Bob Belcher. What's his name? Uh, H. John Benjamin. Oh, Benjamin. So, he's also on Flight of the Concords. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So good. And Archer. Yeah. So that What guy, an amazing cast. Okay. Like, he doesn't really do anything to disguise his voice, but he's still, like, a fantastic voice actor. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got such an iconic voice. Well, same with Kristen Schaal. Kristen Schaal right. is just being Kristen Schaal. That's just how That's she talks. That's very true. That yeah. is, it's very, very true. Yeah, I guess if you've got it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. Sometimes I wish, because I, I don't like my voice. We've talked about this, but I sometimes wish that I could do an impression of a different person all day. Like, I could just make my voice different. What if I said, talk to me like you're a horse, Tony? What would you do? Use your horse voice, Tony. You know what? Surprisingly, nobody's ever told me to do that before. <laughs> Give it a try. I want to hear your horse voice. No, I don't What is a horse saying? <laughs> it's pretty good. Is that a better voice? No, it's just a horse voice. That's I'd it. like to refill my prescription, please. This horse has a lot of medical issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Just do your best, Will Arnett impression. <laughs> I wish, can you imagine? I don't know, what, what What does Will Arnett need to say? He was also on Our Flag Meets Death. All of these people are related. He was on an episode, uh, episode eight. So good. You guys got to watch. Yeah. Um, well, we, should we? Talk about the movie? About the movie already. Yeah. I have I mean, my notes can, out. Already? We can get into it. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's usually you playing us towards the movie but i just i keep thinking about it because we had such a good time watching it it was first of all okay so we watched uh the the great comedy mommy dead and dearest so funny oh laugh a minute yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and just instant classic 
starring such comedians as, <laughs> I don't remember his name, Murderer Nick. Well, we should look up the names of the people, right? Who was who was that in there? What, what, what was it? There's, there was Jim, definitely what? a Nick. Okay, guys. That they met on Christian Mingle. <laughs> Jamie's, see, this is where Jamie grounds us. And he's yeah. like, guys, we need to start somewhere, please. <laughs> I, his name was like Nick DeRoche or something. And then there was Dee Dee Blanchard and uh, her daughter Gypsy. And I can't remember the father's name, but he was Cajun and he looked like Tony Hawk. And they played uh, troubling guitar music every time he came on. <laughs> yeah, like very, yeah. very much like, just so you know, this uh, this guy's this, this guy's Cajun as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we haven't given the premise, Tony. What's the premise of Mommy Dead and Dearest? Uh, mommy dies. <laughs> Mom, mommy dies. Mommy Hi, dies. Mom. <laughs> Hi, Mom. She was in the bathroom. Uh, she didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why don't you way better at this, Jamie? What is this movie about? It's about a mother and daughter duo who have an extremely dysfunctional relationship. Um, the oh, Now I'm just going to be terrible at this because you said I'm good at it. But Oh, you're terrible at this, Jamie. Try again. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a movie about uh, an imposter, uh, an imposter disabled person, and it's fucking fascinating. Yeah, Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah, it's a it's about a mother who convinces her daughter that she has like a plurality of disabilities. She and, being the daughter. Yes, the daughter. The daughter's name is is Gypsy, and actually Jessica's first joke in <laughs> our group chat when we were watching the film was hilarious. What do you think of the name Gypsy, Jessica? It is a crime. It is the first crime, as I said in the chat. I can't believe that somebody names their child that. I mean, I know it's a Broadway show, but surely we've come beyond that. Such a terrible name. When and this happened? Not like when was she born? Uh, like what? She she she's was younger than me. I think. She, I think yeah. she's, how old is she? You know, she's not that old. And you know, I feel I honestly feel weird saying the word because it is a slur. It's a like, slur. So I feel weird saying it, but it's her name. I think the movie came out in 2014 and she was like almost 30 at the time. I think the movie came out in 2017 and the murder happened in 2015. Oh. Yeah. So, fuck. Yeah. You read the Wikipedia article. You oh, nice. Good I job. read the first three words. I read the date. <laughs> I'll be honest. I had like five hours of sleep last night for some reason. I barely slept. And right now I'm blacked out as I talk. So I have no idea what's happening. That's all right. Just dream That's of fine. good things. That's fine. Okay. Um, do you normally, like, how much do each of us like true crime? I went through a phase when it first became a, a fad. I got into it fairly heavily. I was like, oh, this is fun. Let's talk about how crazy people are. And then like, fairly quickly, I'd say within a couple of months, I was like, yeah, I get it. People are insane. And mm-hmm. I haven't really been able to get back onto the bandwagon since stories like this are interesting because they're a little bit closer to home for me like i personally know people who have gone through my johnson's by proxy and stuff oh wow wait a minute what because uh-huh. i thought there were only like two like known uh formal cases of it oh, in the field I, of I, psychology no. no i think it's pretty co- i think it's fairly common yeah really I, yeah, I think it's a pretty, like, the motivation behind it is that you you either want attention for being a good caregiver, so you have to make your child seem in more of need of care, or uh, maybe you just want attention from your child, so you make them feel like they can't leave you. 
uh, or maybe some combination of both. But growing up in foster care, it wasn't necessarily an uncommon thing to see. Excuse me? <laughs> That's dark. Yeah. That is fucking dark. Yeah, it's a comedy, like I said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just so funny. Uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that they said that a lot of times it's that the mother will be it's all, I think it's usually the mom. Right. Yeah. I think it's usually somebody with some medical background. So either they were sick or had some kind of illness and learned a lot about it or their nurses. Nurses can be. Yeah, you got to give the moms credit in this situation because it's no easy feat to just pull the wool over medical professionals eyes for extended periods of time and then like basically uh, manipulate and social engineer your way through the medical system like if if only that skill was used for good oh yeah well but then if if only every narcissist skills were used for good very good point if you're like an avid follower of true crime like you start to notice a trend with a lot of like homicidal women which is that the way that they usually kill their mark is to progressively poison them. And they like a component of it is a, is like a relishing or enjoyment of looking after the person that they are simultaneously making sick because it makes them feel needed. And it also puts them in control. There is a Netflix show called worst roommate ever right now. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. The fact that first episode where she would poison them. Oh my gosh. What happened? There's just this woman uh, in the like late 80s, I want to say, who who would take in people um, that needed uh, long term care, um, like elderly gentlemen or uh, d- like disabled people. She would house them and uh, slowly kill them and bury them, but then uh, oh. continue to cash the like disability pension that she would get for them. So she ended up having a backyard with like multiple corpses like layered on top of each other and just like no one suspected a thing because she looked like an innocent old lady. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's going to be another great episode. We can cover that. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, and you know, and I look forward to the night's sleep that you get tonight too. (laughs) Thinking about piles of bodies on top of each other. Surprisingly, that doesn't, I don't know. I'm so desensitized to, I just, I just, I don't know what new information I'm going to get out of it beyond it just like it's a fresh anecdote, but I feel like I've maxed out my understanding that people can be insane. Well, no, but can I tell you why uh, Mommy Dead and Dearest is particularly interesting? Yeah. It's because it makes like the plausible case that uh, like the performative element of disability uh, is very persuasive. And it, it, it shows the length that you can go to if you exploit people's inherent um, uh, impressions or assumptions about disability. And it, it happens in real time. Like this woman was able to pull off this con for like, what, 20 years, 18 to 20 years. That's insane. And not only yeah. did she did she fool like your average uh, passersby or like fellow hospital occupant, but but like fully formal medical professionals who like were trying to call her out on her shit, but were too afraid of the red tape in order to actually like have something happen. And so that's like crazy to me. And then it brings up the interesting philosophical question of uh, did Gypsy have 
an actual disabled experience in having to oh, perform her disability. Don't you think? For sure. She, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, she certainly experienced the the social isolation and the neglect. And then also just and the feeding tube and the wheelchair and the medication. And she was also in, injured. You can't be on at 900. I mean, I, I would guess that she's going to have a, a like her, I would guess her lifespan is going to be affected. I would guess yeah. all her organs are affected. Oh, I mean, yeah, she sure. was medically tortured for 20 years. Yeah. But that, that is an interesting question. Like, even though her diagnoses weren't real, that she believed it for the most of her life. Well, she also suffered. Like they said in the documentary that the medications that she was on would give her side effects that would like the nausea, the exhaustion, like, you know, everything has 10 side effects. You take 10 10 medicine, like 10 pills a day, you're going to feel horrible all the time. Yeah, the mother probably gave her that like cocktail of medicine by design as well. Yeah, like, what do you think her Google history was like? Oh, my God. How do I poison my daughter more? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was really, really dark. And I think what I what I find interesting about this story in particular is I wasn't ever really against the actions of the criminal or, like, the criminal being Gypsy, the murderer. Mm-hmm. Like, I always kind of supported it. What other, like, it really does feel like she was out of options. Mm-hmm. She tried to run away. Yeah. She tried to, I think she, she would try to tell people and she would, like, squeeze her hand. I mean, what was she going to do? Yeah. It's like essentially escaping a one-person cult and the cult leader is your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's also slightly, like, metaphorical for how your parents fuck you up. Like, I mean, I, I know, like, on a severely exaggerated scale, but when you watch Dee uh, Dee Blanchard, like, on home videotapes and stuff, like, do, does it remind you at all, Tony, of, like, attending, like, Easter Seals camps and, like, seeing parents of some wheelies who were very helicoptery? Well, that's the thing, right, is so many wheelies have helicopter parents. Yeah. Just because, you know, like... Doctors probably tell them they're medically complex, they're fragile, you need to take extra care of them so that they have a long life um, because it's quantity over quality in the medical field often. Yeah, so even people in the space, it doesn't seem that strange that Dee Dee would act this way. Right, yeah. It, like her her protectiveness and her hovering over uh, over Gypsy seems totally normal. It's just the way that she chose to cope, which is batshit. Well, I'm also curious, uh, Anthony. You mentioned that you knew some firsthand accounts of Munchausen's by proxy. Do you are there any happy endings? Did people get away and were able to? Yeah, usually I, I knew people because I I either knew like them through foster care or adjacently through other people in foster care that uh stories that people would be moving into their homes or social workers would tell me like we just broke one out of oh, prison. Uh yeah, so actually all of the stories I have generally ended okay. Um sometimes, you know, you still like it, it like Jamie said, it's kind of a fine line between where where a helicopter mom is just being overprotective and where their overprotectiveness can actually contribute to like a negative quality of life. And I experienced that in my own life with my 
biological mom, she was very overprotective to the point where, like, I'd go visit her in a mall and she would take my shirt off and pull out a stethoscope and start oh my gosh. listening to her chest what? in the food court. What? Yeah. And what? I, I, she was just trying to make sure that I wasn't, I didn't have a lung infection, but I was humiliated and traumatized sure. by showing my nipples by the Burger King. Jesus. Did she also sign you up for like a recreational orthopedic surgery? <laughs> Luckily, I think that all of the surgeries, I, the surgeries I've had were warranted, but... I'm not entirely sure about that. Can you imagine if you found out, Jamie, that you're not disabled? What would you do? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Gypsy's essentially like a, a real-life Kaiser Soze, only <laughs> not not knowing, right? Right. Well, I wonder, I I wish it would, I wish we could kind of know a little bit more about her life in prison. We saw her interviewed, but like, I'd like to know, like, is she, is she taking classes? Cause she only got to go to school until the second grade. So is she learning how to read a book? Is she learning how to pay a bill? You know, I would like to, because there's a lot of talking heads with her and she seems quite, I want to say like emotionally intelligent, uh, also quite self-reflexive uh, which is surprising considering that her life up to the point of incarceration would have been incredibly isolated so you figured she would have uh, had underdeveloped social skill or maturity and the documentary sort of explores that a little bit with how she fools around with her boyfriend and stuff and the the, the, the haphazard way that they like plan the murder or whatever but it's uh you don't actually get a full picture of who who Gypsy is like post trauma. So you're right. Like it would be fascinating uh, to watch uh, a sequel where we literally just see Gypsy uh, live her life. And uh, one of the quotes that I saw on Wikipedia actually was that she has found prison life to be more freeing than her mother, than her childhood, which oh, is totally yeah. understandable. I believe that completely yeah. understand. I mean, she. She, that scene where she describes how her mom smashed her computer after I think she was what what did she do she went and met up with someone and her mom took her and said next time it's your fingers yeah yeah right oh, like man. nobody you know there's pretty bad jails in the world and I'm not going to say that there's jails where that kind of thing wouldn't happen but your general run-of-the-mill jail isn't going to tell you uh, well all right next time it's your fingers I'll smash you know yeah I don't think the wardens walk around with hammers generally <laughs> And then there's like there in in the final years of her mother's life, like there must have been constant tension because like eventually Gypsy would get wise to the situation. You you'd think that she'd have to be watching her her every move uh, as a teenager. Well, another interesting thing I think would be that just you know her mom is not what I, I'm curious to know if she hadn't murdered her if you know being elderly is is you know you lose your ability to she wouldn't she would know at some point she wouldn't have the physical ability to control gypsy rose is that her whole name gypsy rose or whatever that yeah. does gypsy rose is the is the broadway musical she's just she's just the slur um she <laughs> wouldn't have she wouldn't have the ability to so i wonder if she counted on that programming and that emotional abuse on kicking in to where she would just do it to herself Mm. That is interesting. I mean, I also wonder, because she had to get to such, she would have been so far past the end of her rope by the time this all went down 
that part of me wonders if she kind of knew or, or maybe thought a little bit further ahead than even she lets on in terms of if I talk to this guy online, he seems like the kind of guy that might do this for me. I kind of need this to get out of my situation. I was like, thinking that too. She does frame it as if she um, just kind of, it all just kind of happened. It was a bit of a whirlwind. I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. But part of me wonders if maybe she was, it was like a calculated risk because she knew it was this or she stuck in. Like, well, she d- deliberately chose to have a relationship with a guy who had a rap sheet for like masturbating in a McDonald's. Oh, right. Oh, right. There, another for another hilarious hours. moment. Eight hours of masturbation in a McDonald's. That's a whole shift. Oh, my God. Well, I think like the thing I, I, I one of my hyper fixations is narcissism and board and uh, and uh, so socio, sociopathy, psychopathy. I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. And something you rarely see with narcissists is, you know what? This was my fault. I do deserve where I am right now. And maybe I guess she could be putting on a mask. It's possible. But like you look at the way her father talks about her, her grandfather talks about her. None of them have a single kind thing to say about Dee Dee Blanchard. But every one of them's like that poor, that poor young woman. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, there, there's there's clear affection between uh, Gypsy and, and her dad. And it it makes you like really sad that he did not intervene earlier in, in her life, or maybe he wasn't in a position to. I like I don't know what what Dee Dee did to isolate Gypsy uh, so entirely from the people who could have been helpful to her. Um, yeah, very good. Well, they point. were young, right? It was kind of like this thing where they kind of hooked up and got pregnant, like right, and yeah. then he was like, "Yeah, being a good kaijin boy, we 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 just kind of get married," you know? Right. Is that another one of your voices? Because I was. Oh yeah, that's my guess about Cajun. I don't. I can't really do Cajun, but this is my generic country voice. (laughs) (laughs) Country is so fun. It is fun, and and they bet they had a lot of fun there. From Dee Dee's trying to murder the dad's wife to uh, to probably murdering her own mother. Uh, Yeah, Dee Dee Blanchard was most certainly a murderer herself. Oh, for sure, for sure. She probably murdered people. Just for asking the wrong question about her daughter. Didn't didn't they allege that she killed her mother like via neglect? Yeah. Yes, yes, and because because yeah. she had been poisoning with rat poison, right? Her her father's wife. So mm-hmm. it's you know, and they said like it didn't even occur to them until years later to say something like, "Do you think she did it to mom?" It's like, well. Probably. I got to say, like, I was kind of disappointed that of all the home video footage, they didn't really have much of Dee Dee like doing her thing. At, like at social events or speaking to the camera like you you get you get a full portrait of her from accounts of her from people who hated her but you don't quite get to get the full effect of how manipulative she like like you don't get to see it yourself so uh yeah i don't like that was a, a little dimension that maybe was missing but i that mean it was terrifying point. enough i guess yeah it would be interesting to see her try to socially manipulate her way through one of those fundraisers or something to see if it would have worked on us inside baseball. Tony, have you ever been to like a benefit for SMA or like uh, one of those Easter seals like Tommy and Tammy or whatever the fuck it is where they crown like the the queen and prince of disability? I don't think so. 
Wow, really? there's a queen and prince. The queen doesn't even get a king. She just has to have <laughs> just a queen and prince. <laughs> Did you? Were you the prince? No, my sister was a princess or whatever. I I was too young when we part, partook in Easter seals. But um, just talking about these like pageants and stuff, like they are so deeply uncomfortable. Like these these organized events where a, a lot of young like disabled children uh, uh, go. And I was thinking, like, it, it really wouldn't be that hard to swindle people in those kinds of environments. And people do. I mean, that that scene where she where Gypsy is singing Amazing Grace or something. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it it makes it look like they've they've really orchestrated something very deliberately. But all they would really have to do is all Dee, Dee would have to do is show up with with her daughter in a wheelchair and people would carry it on from there. Like, this sounds like a non sequitur, but I I went to Disney World in uh, 2006 with my family, and I use a manual chair for long distances as well as my sister. And uh, so we had a lot of uh, fantastic accommodation in Disney World. Like we went on a cruise and uh, we, we stayed at a number of hotels and never once did my parents have to lift us or help us transfer or do anything that they would normally do like in the day-to-day uh, aspects of our lives. And uh, so it was fantastic. But there was like an instance where uh, my dad and I got stuck at the top of the Epcot ball. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know you could go up there. Uh, yeah, there was like a there was a ride inside of the ball. Like it was just this like history exhibit that my dad really wanted to check out. So he's just like, come with me. Well, well uh, there's your impression. <laughs> There's like the history of satellites or something inside of the Epcot ball. And I didn't want to go. And my mom's like, just go with your dad. Like, this is the only thing he wants to see. So I went with him. And of course, with, like we very easily got onto the like the the roller coaster, the educational roller coaster. And the ride got stuck at the very top. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I was astounded at how quickly like the the staff at Disney world were able to assess the situation like without much interaction with us. They just knew like, Oh, we have a disabled customer stuck on this ride. And they had all the equipment and a number of like dudes in like blue overalls who just came up and like put me inside of this like uh Hearst device and like dragged me down hundreds of stairs. And the whole process took about like 25 minutes and it was this huge spectacle because like everyone got off the ride except for us. And my mom was like, what the fuck is going on? Well, like, where, where's your father? Where's Jamie? And then, then of course we get down to the bottom of the Epcot ball with this like fleet of fucking, uh, uh, Disney technician dudes. And it, I, yeah, it, all that is to say, like, there's a certain, like people will just sort of take over when you're in a wheelchair and if you like need help or uh, there's some kind of emergency, like quite often you never really like there's not a whole lot of problem solving that the person in the wheelchair has to do. So if you want to uh, if you, you want to pose as like a fake disabled person, like people will just run with it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Maybe that's a convoluted way to get there. But but I mean, isn't it better that it's that way than to have people saying, are you really disabled? Can you go well, ahead and walk down these stairs? <laughs> Of course, of course, but it's it's like it's just fascinating to me that there that there exists people who are who uh, are shamelessly willing to exploit that. 
Yeah, I mean, truly, though, I mean, I guess I guess an interesting question to ask would be, is Dee Dee Blanchard disabled? Because mm-hmm. her brain is not functional. You know what I mean? Like people and it's a kind of question that you can ask about, like people with NPD and, you know, who are sociopathic and stuff like that's your you. These people have no capacity to live a normal life. They they are their brains wire them toward destruction of others and destruction of self. Yeah. But I mean, Didi was obviously very intelligent and obviously very competent uh, in certain ways, so she could disguise her her self destructive elements and her dysfunction, maybe her depression uh, and her darkness, essentially. Well, I, I just yet, well, sorry, I'm so, like ahead. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I like I'm currently doing some research on ADHD, and like the thing that like the like you know they might say, okay, you might have twenty of these markers, but the what makes it you know it, it does it interfere with your life? Does it keep you from being able to do certain things? Right. And I bet her life would have been very different if she hadn't had her brain so broken. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. It makes it that much more tragic, actually. Yeah, I mean, I still signed with... Oh, for sure. Oh, she she needed to die. A hundred percent. Yeah, she... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it is a good question. Like, I don't know. It's a tough one because I don't like the idea of fate, but sometimes it just is, right? Like, you're wired to fail i've seen it in in foster care so many times where just based on your circumstances or your physical or like whatever condition you might have or situation you're in like sometimes the cards are just stacked against you well they say that like a narcissistic personality disorder is the only major personality disorder where you're kind of fine and everyone around you is just messed up and like it's also why people don't seek out therapy unless they're seeking out something else like their depression right that's so interesting to me i have about seven books you can read because again i i'm super super into it i think it's so and, and for sure she's a narcissist for sure she's got she might also have like borderline personality disorder like she's probably got a bunch of stuff going on but like if we could go into her brain like if there was a way to fix the wires like yeah. her her life is miserable so if we're talking about you know like disruption of life what quality of life does Dee, Dee blanchard have that's a good point do you think she had the self-awareness to think her life was miserable or do you think she was so satisfied in the manipulation that she was performing and succeeding in that she was like i've got it figured out i think it's kind of both because so i think I, there's there, sorry. sorry go ahead yeah, no, I mean, you've you studied this kind of stuff, so I'm just pontificating like a jackass, but I I do think it's both. I, I think it's a simultaneous misery with the only thing the only thing that's giving her any kind of reprieve from said misery is manipulation. The thing that springs to mind is I have a an acquaintance who I believe has Munchausen's because I knew her in high school and there was always something. She was always pregnant or mm-hmm. always going through a miscarriage or all and and I I mean Knowing her as well as I do, she wasn't. She she wasn't. It was it was like and it was it was like and, you know, now I, you know, I, I very distantly she, she got into a whole bunch of like very right wing politics. So I don't like follow her anymore. She unfriended me. But she has a TikTok that is following her covid long hauler. I believe she gave herself covid because uh. she was a nurse who uh, knew all about this. She had seen COVID units and she never got the vaccine. She never got, and she basically 
and she's now she is on oxygen. She's severely, you know, limited in what she can do physically. She's and and, and it's, so it's, again, it's like it's just the difference that she did to herself instead of to her kid. And I mean, that is that is the qual- her quality of life is objectively shit. She can't right. do much of anything at all. But that compulsive need for look at me, sympathize with me, look at me, sympathize with me. That is damaging, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I wish I knew more about this because it does make me wonder how helpable, that's a good word, this is, you know, like, can you get counseling or medication or something to get yourself through that? Or is it just... Not currently. There's no there's no current cure or medication for narcissistic personality disorder, which I think is I'm not sure if Munchausen's goes hand in hand with them, but I think it does. I guess it's like a spectrum, right? Because when you started describing your friend, part of me was like, where do you draw the line from hypochondria to Munchausen's? And I think it is when you again, I'm obviously talking out of turn, but it feels like when you want to be sick for the gratification of people supporting you and giving your attention right yeah i mean i i and i feel like i feel like a real a real asshole here saying that she you know she gave herself covid but like you know it and because people there are there are people very like her but it you can see a pattern of she would like start a youtube series that was like all about um her struggles as a single mom she would there was always these like fits and starts of efforts to have people look at her for things that were kind of like sympathy it was always sympathy you know and and like even with narcissism or even with anything else it's like um although it's hard to it's hard to say anybody might feel sorry for donald trump and i think he's a grandiose narcissist so like yeah yeah, I mean, well, a lot of people who are narcissistic or like sociopathic and psychopathic often end up being like CEOs and stuff mm-hmm. because they just don't have to care about how their actions might affect the people around them. And that can be effective in certain facets of capitalism. Well, Dee Dee Blanchard lived in, I mean, she had a house, she had a life, she she yeah. managed to live a pretty okay life from what it seems like, in spite of it all. Okay, but Jessica, as our default U.S. <laughs> ambassador, how did she afford these medical bills? Where did she get this insurance? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, I guess the thing to keep in mind is that, like, let's say that the, the insurance lapses and she can't get the treatment that she needs. She doesn't need it. You know, so like right. if if something happens well, and she can't get the surgery in the correct amount of time, you know, like that's, you know, so like whereas somebody who ha- who actually has leukemia, which is one of the things that she they might be they might be really screwed because they can't get this experimental treatment or something. But yeah. she doesn't need any treatment. So like you kind of I, I imagine that you could kind of keep up the facade and in fits and starts and GoFundMes and like charity drives managed to be like oh my gosh we're able to get her back on this medication after a year and a half off well that's probably a year and a half when her body could recover a little bit yeah it, it does like she did put a commendable amount of effort and time into keeping this facade up and like lobbying for attention and money and support and it, it's kind of mind-blowing how successful she was for so long because it, there's just so many moving parts and I I don't think I truly understand the amount of 
commitment it takes to get through all this, you know, and like co- convince everyone around you that this is happening. I guess it turns into a little bit of a game for her at a certain point, right? Like she's trying to, you know, just see if she can get that next diagnosis or that next medication. Well, Gypsy was also a, you know, pathetic looking, cute little white girl who looked like she was 11 years old from the age of nine through the age of 21. You know, she was wearing big bows. They were making her and she talked. She talked like a little child. So I think that sort of pageantry, I think if it was a person who didn't look a certain way, like a different like I think, you know, there, you know, people that you see who are maybe uh, less "Quote unquote sympathetic might not have gotten as much met- as much financial support." Yeah, but it all seemed very calculated and effective. Like I think all of us here are fairly smart people, and I'll speak for myself. I don't think I would if if you told me tomorrow I had to pull off this con. I really don't think I'd be able to do it. You know what I mean? Like I don't think I'd know how to convince a doctor that. My child had some, like, I feel like the jig will be up in the first five minutes. <laughs> but then you go to another doctor. Like, that's the thing that these yeah. Munchausen's by proxy people do. They shop doctors. True. You know, you go to one, they'd say, actually, we think she's fine. You don't understand. You don't know. You don't know me. Like, and then take it to another doctor. Okay. So if I did have to do this, I'm going to bring you in my consultant. Oh, 100%. I would yeah. love to to bring you from place to as long as I get all the attention. That's the most important thing. Right. Yeah, all the sympathy needs to be on me. Yeah, that's fine. Tony, if you had to play uh, Dee Dee in the Broadway interpretation of this, it would be called <laughs> Tony Dead and Dearest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah. Go see it. It can be the third. It can be the second spinoff. There's, there's Hallmark Threats and then there's Tony Dead and Dearest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to keep my portfolio diversified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're right, though, Jamie. I would love to see more clips of Dee Dee actually manipulating people. Have either of you seen the act, like the show that came out of this? No. Is it is it uh, actors or is it like similarly with like live clips? It's all acted. It's all drama, and I I've seen it. It was a while ago, but as far as I remember there were no real clips until the very end. And I don't think it really got into the manipulation of the doctors very much. I think it was more about the manipulation of like her neighbors and family and friends. Gosh, I just feel so sorry for her. This, you know, this person who was placed into this, you know, absolute trap. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way out except murder. What? <laughs> well, what else? Everybody, when everybody else was like, "Yes," and it was murder, and it was wrong, but we do understand, and we totally get it. Yeah. What else was she supposed to do? Right. I, but it wasn't like she was this like uh, roided out uh, like a uh, uh, prison guard or whatever. She was just a mom. But it just goes to show you, like, if you have the capacity for like involved manipulation, you can really gain control of somebody and. Um, like it, it sounds like when Aditi's extended family talk about her, they almost use hushed tones, like they're afraid that they'll be overheard, or that they're afraid of her in general and her ability to um, con or deceive them. And it that is very, uh, very interesting to me. The fact that this woman is dead, 
And yet you can kind of feel her presence throughout the entire documentary. It makes me wonder, too, like, wouldn't it be a better world where there where the where the dad had just tried a little bit harder? Yeah. Yeah. Like that is a, an angle that the film doesn't really explore to any meaningful extent. Like they make him seem quite bashful and kind of like like charming or cute or whatever. And, and ultimately, he he was a passive observer to an astounding amount of abuse that he was sort of tacitly aware was occurring even from the start. He was questioning why Didi was saying that like uh, Gypsy couldn't walk or like do certain things, and they just took it for granted that it was true, despite even knowing. Didi's capacity to deceive. So it's like, why didn't the family ever want to challenge this woman? Yeah. And so I think that that uh, Didi's extended family is as much responsible for the fate of of Gypsy or Gypsy's actions as she is, because like the child should never have to uh, like deal with the parent. Like you know what I mean? She this never should have occurred. Obviously. Well, it makes me think of these, like, I, I follow a lot of TikToks of people who escape religious extremism, like cult-like mm. situations. And mm. it, I mean, at least you could have said, hey, Gypsy, if you ever are able to, to, if you ever want to get away, I will support you. You have a couch to sleep on, especially after she's 18 years old. What yeah. more is she going to do? You know, even if yeah. in terms of like, I am here to financially support you in case you need to get out. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. And like, I guess she was, she must have been homeschooled. I can't imagine that she actually like attended school or left the house very much. There was one other point I wanted to discuss. We talk frequently on the podcast about the disabled costume, which is like, like an arbitrary costume that a lot of main characters in like fictional disabled stories kind of wear. I always think frequently of Sean Penn in uh, I Am Sam. And he he wears these like khakis that are a little bit too short for his height, and he the, these like unmarked black shoes and uh, like a tucked in shirt. <laughs> he has the 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 presentation of someone who does not take into account uh, fashion or fashion sense, and it, this is a common trope in a lot of like wheelie movies. And I think that Dee Dee leverages that in her presentation of Gypsy. Like you were saying, the whole way that she goes, that she basically looks like a, a Pixar character in in real life, where she has like a, an exaggerated childish voice and uh, like bifocal glasses, uh, sh- like odd short hair, um, like a bowl cut. Her teeth are very odd looking, like I guess because probably maybe because she had the tube for so much of her time, her teeth look quite odd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it goes, it, it contributes to the whole look of her being like an infantilized Pixar per- person. And uh, then like you see later, uh, and this is only like three or four years later, uh, where Gypsy's been in prison for a while and she's able to grow out her hair. She's not wearing the glasses anymore and she looks just like a an average 20 something woman and uh it's it's a stark contrast from her outside of her disability costume yeah well i think that was part of the decision that dd made was just to dress her down so people wouldn't take her seriously like if this girl wearing a princess outfit is telling me that my mom is not treating me well it's a lot easier to be like oh you 
when you get older, you'll understand that that's just what moms have to do to keep you alive. But if she was dressed like a 18 year old when she was 18, people might have actually taken her seriously. Well, she told people that she was mentally retarded. Yeah. She's- yeah, she put her, her hands over D- uh, Gypsy's ears and right. say she was slow, right? But it is, I think that the biggest thing for me, and we just went over it, but the fact that the dad really didn't do, they even, I think at one point the filmmakers asked him, like, you know, did you think that maybe something was up? And he was just so nonchalant. I think he mentioned, like, well, she was always strange, Dee Dee. She had a tarantula, so you understand. <laughs> and it's like, that's <laughs> supposed to just, oh, she had a tarantula. Well, that makes sense. Like, no wonder you didn't reach out to your daughter. Like, I just don't understand how they tried to just sweep it all under the rug. I, I think they just wanted as minimal exposure to Dee Dee as possible. I guess. And, and and like, it's it's easy in a talking head to pretend like, you had a whole bunch of concern at the time for that situation. But ultimately, I don't think it would have been that too, too difficult to intervene. Well, I do think that going forward, I mean, for her to have any hope at a future, she's got to have family support. And I think if she were to dwell on it, and so maybe even she spoke to the crew and was like, we can't make this a hit job on my dad. Right. You know, because she, if she's going to get out and have any chance of getting a job, a great point. anything, like, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was like, look, we can bl- blame my mom as much as you want, like, and my dad a little bit, you know, but like, she needs him, you know? That That is very true. Yeah, that is, I am very curious, because she's still in prison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to like 2035 or something. Oh, really? 2023. Oh, shit. Yeah. Next year. Her name is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Okay, Gypsy Rose. All right. Yeah, just call her Rose. Yeah, well, I would like to. <laughs> Well, I mean, I did learn that if you need to find a murderer, you just go on a Christian dating yeah. site. That's pretty cool. Wait, what? That's how they met. Oh, oh, right, right, yeah. He was on a Christian dating site while he was masturbating at McDonald's. Yeah. Right, right, right. You just have to filter out for uh, anyone with a public indecency charge. We mm-hmm. shouldn't have yeah. that. He was loving it. Ah, uh, that's cute. I'm joking it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, it was a couple weeks ago that we watched this. I didn't bring myself to watch it again. Did either either of you watch it again? Oh, I don't want to feel that way anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very, it's so sad. It's really, it's really sad. What a waste. Yeah. Even in terms of like all that, I mean, like you think about it, it, probably millions and millions of dollars of flights Medical equipment, surgeries were dumped into this person who didn't need them and that very well could have gone to somebody else who did. Yeah. I imagine the guilt of some of the doctors just sort of blindly signing off on this where they could probably smell something fishy going on but didn't have the bandwidth or maybe the confidence to actually try to make a stand. Maybe not. They did show the one doctor that seemed like he kind of knew, but just didn't want to get involved. Well, like, as he said, there was an apparatus around her. You know, yeah. it wasn't just Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. It was her team. It was her yeah. cheerleaders. It was everybody. It was her, and everybody was rooting for this young woman. And I mean, so he was, I guess, I mean, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I mean, he wrote in her report, mother is not a reliable narrator. He wrote yeah. in the report, she has 
muscle tone. It's not, not, you know, it doesn't make sense for her yeah. status. And I mean, it's, I guess it's a whole bunch of people who decided it wasn't their job. For some reason, I'm reminded of, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but like Elizabeth Holmes, when people ask like how she swindled investors mm-hmm. out of billions of dollars and continued it like uh, with her, her company Theranos, despite the fact that the underlying uh, science and the entire foundation of her product was completely infeasible. Like she, she ran with it for 15 years. And I think, I think a lot of it is just literally um, a kind of populism. Like when you, when you have a, a forward momentum and you have enough people in your corner that like you, you can just get away with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly enough people being like, I'm not the one to pull out the Jenga thing that makes us all fall down. For sure, it could because you feel like uh, you feel like you're you could be in the wrong, or you, or that you're missing something. Like the problem is with you is is how you end up feeling. Well, I also imagine too, like you know, doctors are live in constant fear of malpractice suits. You know, so like the idea of a doctor who's of saying like, well, I don't want to do this. Or, like, I, I mean, it's just so much easier to say, look, not here, lady. Yeah. And then you just go shopping for another one who, you know, but I mean, it is crazy because I mean, th- him noticing that she has muscle tone in her legs. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy crap. How did nobody else? Yeah, No kidding. Like, I mean, you could I, you could probably notice uh, with the naked eye whether or not she had atrophy or it seemed like she could wait bear. I don't know. Like there would be clues. But Tony, do you think if you saw a gypsy uh, when she was living with her mother that you would you would get an inkling that she wasn't disabled? I mean, like, I, I don't think I'd be on the hunt, so it'd be hard <laughs> to find. Like, I don't generally go around to my disabled friends and be like, is this real? <laughs> but I don't know, like, she was in a wheelchair, she had a feeding tube. That's more than a lot of disabled people I know. That's and true. So it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch for me to believe it. Maybe I would start asking her about, like, parallel experiences and just because that's kind of what i do anyway to try to relate with someone and then Uh if her parallel experiences didn't really resonate with the way i thought well she had she'd have them she'd have them i mean think about what think about what somebody goes through in life having crohn's disease for example like she she, i mean the kind of relentless surgeries then you know that the exhaustion the nausea the pain you know again she was on 15 different medications that were probably making her feel like shit every single day yeah i probably wouldn't have found out do you think you would have jamie no not at all even watching her throughout the film you like you don't really know like you can you can watch the way that she moves. She doesn't yeah. move like somebody with, like with cerebral palsy or any kind of uh, a fine motor issue or spasticity or anything like that. Like any of the symptoms that that I would be attuned to. But um, again, like you totally believe that uh, they pulled off the con. Like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking how funny it is that like you and I and so many other disabled people have to provide formal proof that we are disabled like before we go on trains or like on trips abroad or yeah, thanks Didi. yeah <laughs> or like when when we're on the when we're in the housing market and it's yeah. like like and just the whole idea that we have to prove it is often so hilarious because it's like well fucking are you kidding me like just look at me but 
could Dee Dee could prove that her daughter was disabled. Dee Dee could probably prove it better than I could. <laughs> I feel like if if Dee Dee was up against me in a competition of uh, which one was more disabled, like me versus Gypsy, I would lose. Well, you, she has yeah. When they listed the seventeen ailments that she had, leukemia. Yeah, I can't. I remember. I'm remembering leukemia, I, mental retardation, which is yeah. So it's all so agency removing. It's like yeah. she 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 set up all these puzzle pieces where it's like, well, you might think that she has this, but she can't explain that because she has this. It is very calculated again. Yeah. Well, she's roasting in hell, and I hope she enjoys it. <laughs> well. Do you guys want to wrap it up with a real breaker? Yeah, sure. I would be honored. I love this segment. Okay. Well, let's see how we can do it. Wheel breakers. So, okay, it's very tricky to do this with an able-bodied guest. In fact, you're so able-bodied that you're literally standing right now. <laughs> it's the shoe closet. It's the shoe closet. Oh my god, you've been standing the entire time. I'm just. It's it's the the location does not uh d- does not really allow for. Ch- I would uh, you know. Also, I have ADHD, so I can't like if I were to be sitting this whole time, <laughs> you would see me like I would be like <laughs> fidgeting and touching a bunch of shit. It would get like it, it helps. It helps with the uh, a minimal amount of of movement. Yeah. It it, it grounds you. Yeah, it does. Do you desperately need to sit down at this very moment? I don't, but I will if you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of give the appearance that I'm sitting. You know, you can imagine that there's like a bar stool here. Well, Jamie didn't even realize you were standing. Yeah, because you never, I don't, I didn't get an impression for the height of the camera. So you could have very well been sitting. I don't know. I feel like to me, I'm just so used to people standing in work meetings now that they kind of understand like how the posture is different. People fidget differently when they're standing versus when they're sitting. My hands over here on this uh, bar of my closet here. It's a, it's a, it's a good setup, actually. That's yeah, actually, you look kind of cozy. Yeah, feeling good. Can I just say I don't like standing desks? I find the whole notion like extremely. I thought you were going to be like I don't like standing. Well, yeah. Firstly, that's super overrated, <laughs> but but standing desks are are as well. I disagree. I think if I could stand, I'd be. All about that posture and standing on at the desk. I think it's good for you. Get the blood flowing. A standing desk feels like an extension of the types of people who get like workout equipment for their homes, but then use them like to hang clothing. <laughs> because the people that get standing desks that I'm most of the time are usually not very like aware of their fit- fitness level. It's just like a gesture toward future fitness. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the the people who have uh, the treadmill under there too, who just are like walking while they're working. That's too much. That's too much. Come on. <laughs> like well, just I, sit at your desk. <laughs> like what the fuck. I was gonna suggest maybe I could sit out for the wheel breakers, but I could maybe like offer color commentary. No, I actually think I can find one for you. No. Okay. I, I refuse. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> fine, you don't have that option. Yeah, no, no, no. Jessica, what do you? I, I'm just curious. If you could have like a super useless superpower, do you have an idea of what you would choose? Like, here's a good example I heard recently. You never have to wait for anything ever again. That's <laughs> a massive superpower, especially right. in New York. Are you kidding me? That would be phenomenal. Yeah. Like, there's no lines. As soon as there's no red lights, you just, you never have to 
wait, you, you know, when you get to the doctor's office, they're ready for you. When you get to the DMV, see that? U.S. color, nailed it. They're ready for you. How is that useless, though? That's tremendously useful. Okay, I'm glad you said that. Because my real breaker is, for you, Jessica, uh-huh. you get to continue being your able-bodied current self, as is, nothing changes, or you have to be disabled in a wheelchair. I'm just going to go, like, I'm not going to give you a diagnosis, but, like, you're, like, somewhere between me and Jamie. Oh. And you never have to wait for anything. I am so on the spot right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no wrong, wrong. You offend me. I have my answer, which is oh, just okay. even based on Maggie visiting here, um... Uh, a couple weeks ago, a mutual friend, Maggie Whittem, um, New York City is not uh, accessible. Um, yeah. It is, even my building, we have an elevator, but they lock the basement, which has the ramp, after like 10 p.m. So like, <laughs> you know, so you'd have to like have someone there to open the door yeah. for you. And it's a swing door. So like you'd have to open the door. But you wouldn't have to wait for that person. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Okay, but like even like so, the, there uh, in all of Astoria, Queens, there is one accessible subway station. But the subway is always there as soon as you need it. That's it's always there, but you got to go up all those flights of stairs to get there. You know. Uh, but if you need someone to carry down the flight of stairs, they're there ready for you. Yeah. If it were a mat, you, I'd also want to be rich because I feel like uh, if you're rich. Mm-hmm. Is it, I think that if it's rich and I never have to wait for anything, then you can always call a car and you can live in a fully accessible building. Uh, you can live in Manhattan, you know, that. Yeah. That, yes. But so but, often uh, disabled characters in movies are rich for that very reason. It's like yeah. a consolation prize. And also how the script kind of solves accessibility problems because they always have their own private vans or super yeah. accessible homes or. You know, they, they they don't need a job, but they can still participate in society. So it's yeah. like, it's kind of an annoying trope. <laughs> well, there is a guy who, um, I, I followed him on Instagram. I forget his name. And I think he has CP, but he uh, tried to go to Brooklyn to get a rainbow bagel. It was like a viral oh, video. yeah. Zach Anner. Yeah. yeah, Zach Anner. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah he, he swiped no on me on, uh, on Tinder, by the way. Uh <laughs> What? Yeah. Anyway, it's that's it's not important. He he has his standards. It's fine. Um. And uh, but like, pull him out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but watching that video of him, he had to take a ferry, and then he had to do this, and he had to do that, and then once he even got to the bagel place, they still had like a two inch lip, so he couldn't get on there and there on his power chair. Yeah. So it's like, I love the video that you're talking about at the end. He goes through this whole charade, you know, like. He has to crawl down a flight of stairs because able-bodied people were hoarding the elevator. He, like, takes an inaccessible subway. He eventually lands at the bagel place, and the guy goes and gets his rainbow bagel. And the guy's like, anything else you need? And he's like, a ramp? Mm-hmm. So funny. Well, Maggie and I, when, when we came to, uh, she came to, we went and saw a bunch of Broadway shows, and, you know, Maggie can go up and down stairs, but it's very difficult for her. Uh-huh. So we found one elevator at Times Square, which is supposed to be an accessible station. It's an elevator to a walking place. And then you have to get a second elevator to go towards street side. Never came. 
no sign. We rang the bell, no answer. So even if you were, even if you were in a wheelchair, a wheelchair user and you got there and you went through steps A through H, Mm -hmm. I is going to fuck you over because that second elevator and, and the directions on the sign says, if there is no response, take the subway to Grand Central Station and take the elevator there. But let me remind oh you, God. you don't have to wait for that elevator. <laughs> well, but but well, but if it does, this, does it work? Does it magically work where it didn't yeah. work before? Does it smell? Does it smell like piss, Tony? Oh, wait. It still smells like piss, but you're not waiting. But does it magically work? Does it, <laughs> it, it? If you need an elevator and there is an elevator at the building, it will work for you. It will magically work. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I would take this deal breaker. Or I know well, this isn't. Or sorry, wheel breaker. Yeah. What What's the hypothetical you're pitching? <laughs> you would take it if your options were continue being disabled, or get to continue being disabled and never oh, have to wait, right? And never have to wait. Okay, we can still pitch it to you though, Jamie. The same thing applies. You can be. We We, we only have to wait for paratranspo though. Not anymore. And that's famously always on time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. Right. Okay, sorry, you were pitching something? Well, I, I don't really know how to flip it to work for you. I had a different wheel breaker for you, though. I derailed the discussion. Please uh, please resume. So, Jessica, it sounds like I can't sell you on this one? Not unless I'm rich. Are you also? <laughs> am I also rich? I'll give you 150k a year. No deal. I want five. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to live. I need to live in a high rise in Manhattan. 150K yeah. a year isn't going to do that. No, it's not. Why do you prefer high rises in Manhattan? Well, where am I going to go? Because anything else, anything's going to be a walk up. It has to be a new build. Oh, good yeah. point. Yeah, you need a high rise for sure. All right. Well, I can't. I just can't afford to give you 500000 <laughs> Well, that's all right. Um, once you have uh, the, the Hallmark business going... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all going to go from there. All right. So this is always counterintuitive, but you are choosing, well, actually you're choosing no wheel. No wheel. No wheel. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I respect that. Yeah, me too. Because he could have just went like wheel to be polite to us because that whole like spectrum of disability is not very fair to you. Well, I mean, I don't, I, 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 I wish that the world were different. Like I, w- I, I wish that, that, that it wouldn't make a huge difference in my life, but it would but make it a huge difference and it shouldn't, and it yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. And every train station should have a, should have an elevator and every curb should have a curb cut. And, you know, every bus should be hydraulic. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Like sometimes a lot of people in a disabled community find this sentiment woo-woo, for lack of a better word. But Did you sen- say woo-woo? Woo-woo, yeah. Woo-woo. 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 <laughs> but yeah, the idea that a person's diagnosis isn't what makes them disabled so much as it is the environment that they're in. And if the environment that they're in was more accessible, then their physical limitations wouldn't limit them as much. Well, I think that's how deaf, I think that's very, a very deaf perspective, you know, Right. Mm-hmm. As, as someone who uh, is learning sign language, that's, you hear that a lot from people in deaf culture. It's like, we don't have a problem. You have a problem, you know, which is yeah. true. It's true. Learn our language. Yeah. 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 All right. Fair enough. Good answer. I respect it, Jamie. Wait, Tony, what would be your useless superpower? Honestly, ever since someone pitched the never having to wait thing to me, I can't get it out of my head. That but you're not like an impatient great... person. No, but I like to not waste my time. <laughs> if I had to take a bus, 
Imagine being able to book a paratransport exactly the same time, like prior to that it would take you to arrive, rather than having to bake in time for them to be 45 minutes late. Yeah, but you're still thinking about alleviation of disabled grief. Like, what, what, like, what yeah. would you do with the useless superpower that was fun? Like, what's a useless, fun superpower for you? Anything, like waiting in line at an amusement park or like waiting in line literally anywhere at the grocery store. You're still talking this about waiting in lines? You'd be able to pack so many more things in your day. <laughs> do you want to be able to talk to cats? Jamie, is that what this is all about? You're waiting for Anthony to say he wishes he could talk to cats? <laughs> yeah, like if you, because he has the coolest cat ever named Jack. But if Jack could talk, he'd say so many hilarious things. Come on, Tony. Yeah, but I'd have to wait for him to talk to me and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you have both? Why not? I mean, come on, as long as we're playing, you know, fantasy. Okay. You know, fantasy games. Yeah. I mean, if I could take both, then yeah, I would talk to cats. I think I'd prefer to talk to dogs. Actually, no, cats would probably be funnier. What do you want, Jamie? What's your desired uh, ridiculous oh, superhero power? I don't know. Useless superhero power. I was kind of hungry when you posed the question. So I was thinking like, it would be awesome if I could just like conjure my favorite junk food at, at will. And mm. it was also zero calories. So there'd be no consequence to eating it. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, that's all I want. Where you could like snap your fingers at the end of it. And it's like, you didn't just eat that whole bowl of popcorn or yeah. have two beers. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine if you could just eat smart food, like cheddar popcorn without feeling guilty. Yeah. I do that. I don't feel guilty. <laughs> but <laughs> that's it would a be choice, nice. Jamie. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're living in guilt, Jamie. That's very sad yeah. for you. <laughs> Figure it out. That's a great superpower. To not have guilt. That's called being a narcissist. We're going full <laughs> circle here. <laughs> you can be a sociopath. I don't think, you know what? You can't be one uh, because it's a certain brain. Maybe if you hit your head the right way, you could be a sociopath or psychopath. What's the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath? According to the books I read, sociopath is a lot of it's the environment that you grow up in. So like, let's say you grow up in a like in a in a horrible like war torn situation where every kid is handed a gun at age 11 and you're told to kill and you're told in and, and like so like you're socialized to be that way. So like everybody, you know, is that way. I, I could be wrong. It's been a few years since I hyperfixated on this and read a million books on it. But I think that's I think it's that's it's like it plays out the same. It behaves the same. But I think one has more of a social aspect. And it seems like sociopathy is probably more treatable than psychopathy. I don't think they're I don't think either of them is particularly treatable, sadly. Oh, sorry, just you just got to avoid them. It's like it's like one percent. I think if I'm right, which I sometimes am, I think there are about as many people with red hair in the world as there are psychopaths. So if you go to Ireland, everyone's just crazy. So you already have red hair, so it's super unlikely that you're a psychopath. The the the, the odds do not favor it. No. Yeah, yeah, because you'd be the one percent of the one percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am double jointed though. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, if you had to write Dee Dee Blanchard a uh, a Hallmark card, what would it say? Oh no. <laughs> um. I thought it was just oh no. Is that? <laughs> I thought that was your. I thought that was it. Oh no! Yeah, the the front would be oh no, <laughs> and then the inside would just be like, like you had it coming. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking it should be like, uh, die mom, die mom. Oh, that's good too. You had to call uh, back yourself. That was very good, Jamie. Yeah. You can join Anthony's improv class. Yes. <laughs> 
good because I did not want to be improving with my cat. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, you can talk to him now, so you'll at least know what he's about to do. <laughs> okay, Jamie, here's a wheel breaker for you, cat. Okay. I'm going to make you able-bodied. Uh-huh. But the catch is, you can never reference this conversation. You have no memory of this conversation. Actually, you know, you'll remember the conversation, but you just can't reference it. So forever, everyone who knows you is just going to be very confused, and they might start to think you were faking it the whole time. Oh, can we make it that he... Oh, can I, can I, can I edit? Can yes. I just, just for fun? Yes. <laughs> what if you can be able-bodied, but you have to reveal... That it was a Gypsy Rose situation the whole time. Oh, everyone. You have to tell everyone. You have to reveal. That you're yeah. faking it. Oh, wait. Uh, you're cooking my brain. So, <laughs> so I, okay. So you're asking, what if I am Gypsy Rose? Well, you're able-bodied, but uh-huh. now you have to go around. And everyone's like, wait, what? Where's your wheelchair? You're like, oh, that was all fake. I was a big shot. Mm-hmm. Oh no, but then, but that would be awful because then it, it would be implied that my my parents had Munchausen's by proxy. Or you, you could just have you, you have Munchausen's, yeah, just yeah. you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't bring your parents into this. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to relish the chance to blame them. Um, yeah, well, okay, so I so I'm one hundred percent able bodied, but I'm deeply, deeply fucked up, and I have to be open about it. Well, you just have to at least. Sell the lie. Okay. Well, or or what if it's that you got caught and now you're just oh. out? Oh. So you actually did have it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And some social worker somewhere opened a door suddenly and saw you <laughs> dancing a jig, an Irish jig, in the middle of the room and said, What the hell? Turns out. Well, okay. So Munchausen's by proxy is not necessarily a crime. Well, Munchausen's, but you have been defrauding the Canadian government for a very long time. Right. Well, wait, because no, but I'm not I've never been on disability benefit, but I have I have applied for the disability tax credit every year. And doesn't the government cover a portion of your wheelchair? They do. Yeah. So I'd have to pay them back for several power chairs and manual chairs. Yeah. Damn it. Not to mention the street cred you would use. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people are going to be your friend anymore. I don't. No. Th- I don't think Tony would you be his friend if you find out he's faking it this whole time. I'd be so mad, but also hurt because yeah. it would just feel like you've been lying to me. It's, like, why were you, were you lying to me to get a podcast? <laughs> the yeah. prize of prizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I, I thought you were really cool, and I thought that you wouldn't be. Uh, as open to friendship with me if I wasn't also disabled. See, that hurts me and is offensive <laughs> and really just says a lot about how you feel about me in this hypothetical world. So sorry, Tony. Um, so, okay. Uh, so I might get put in jail by the Canada Revenue Agency. You just have to uh, pay him back. Yeah, I, I don't think that's what you have to worry. I think it's the social stigma of what you've done. <laughs> Tony's going to write a book about you. Yeah. yeah. And you're not going to be on Hallmark Threat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll probably get an Alex Gibney documentary out of it, though, which would be kind of neat. Let's see. Uh, I, I guess my friends would be all offended. What friends? You're not going to have friends. Nobody's yeah. going to be your friend anymore. Do you think anyone is going to be like, cool, man, that was really cool of you. I can't believe <laughs> you did that for so long. I, I really, could just like... Going? Like move to Quebec or something and learn French and build a whole new friend circle. Yeah, you basically have to put yourself into witness security. 
Yeah. Ugh. I don't know, man. You seem tempted, though. I'm. A, I mean, it's kind. It would be kind of a fascinating background. You would redefine yourself. Yeah. You'd have but, to change your name because if people Googled you, this podcast comes up and they might have to yeah. go, what? Yeah. And also, if people, be, if people ask you, where did you grow up? You can't lie because you have to keep this part of your life straight. You have to tell everyone that you, you, you don't have to lead with it. But if they ask you a question, like if by any chance someone goes, did you used to be disabled by chance? <laughs> You'd have to say yes. Yes. Okay, so I can't lie about... No, you have to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And do I have to like decline any book deals or movie deals? No, you can try to market it. So I can le- I can leverage the the social cred. But no, no movie's gonna make you look good. In, in You're gonna look so bad. This is gonna be so bad for you. Oh, see, the problem is I listen. My one of my favorite podcasts is called Swindled, and it's all about people who pull off these elaborate cr- crimes. And after a while, it starts to lionize these people. I'm writing it down because that sounds great. Yeah, it's really good, actually. So you're saying that you listen to Swindled and go, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> well, no, occasionally, like they, like some of these criminals are folk heroes, you know, because they, because they defraud corporations and stuff, and that's kind of interesting to me. But anyway, this is not that. I would just be a fucking asshole. So yeah, I don't think be. you'd be able to swing this into a positive light for yourself. And there's no circumstance under which I could apologize to you for my lie? I think you can apologize, right? You can, ap- you can apologize, but I'm probably not going to accept that. Really? Well, I mean, I'll accept your apology, but I won't. I don't think I'll be able to be your friend or trust you again. What if I invested in your Hallmark card podcast? <laughs> With all of your new money from the from the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it would feel like... I would I would feel guilty taking that. Really? What if yeah. I promised you a lifetime supply of hot sauce? I don't think you, like to me the thing that I value most is connections with other people, and you've broken that. Do you feel guilty be, right now, even though you've done I, nothing? I, I, I do. I do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I won't do it. <laughs> I won't get my chance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. No wheel. No wheel. No, that means you took the deal. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, true. No wheel, no. <laughs> wheel. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Jamie, do you have one? Or Jessica, if you have one, I mean, you're welcome to. Would you um, Would you want, you can be able-bodied, but you have to be one of those people who's super annoying about being a cyclist and that's their entire personality. <laughs> and like, you're a really annoying cyclist and you go bike lane, bike lane, bike lane every time you go down the street yeah. and you're always kind of smelly. I'm like in the grocery store doing the hand signals in the aisles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's your whole personality and you're always yeah. wearing the cleats. And when you walk around, you hear the like the you know, the cyclist cleats from where they hook into the pedals. <laughs> yeah, it's your whole personality. Oh, I'd be insufferable. But maybe I'd find like a hot cyclist woman who wanna like tour de France with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh there's another part that I forgot to mention, which is that you're not a very good cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> You're very passionate about it, but you're... Wait, like, define bad. Like, am I slow? Do I crash into stuff? You're easily distracted, so you're somewhat accident-prone. So, okay. I mean, honestly, a, a, a different, a, an acquired disability could be in your future. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, might end up that I'm right back where I started. Yeah, like, okay, so if I took this deal, I'd probably get 
literally a year out of it before I start to hate myself. Right. If I, yeah, I just, I can't picture, like, what about if I'm going to like a black tie event and I show up with my helmet on? And the the, the tight suit, you know? Yeah. With the bib in the front? Maybe I could turn into like, well, yeah, but I'm not good at it. So I can't even become but some you're passionate. Kind of like, you're passionate. You join all the bike races that have no qualifications. Right. I mean, do I get one of those cool bibs with the number on it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that changes things. Those are pretty cool bibs. I think I would enjoy it for a while, but having such a one-dimensional identity would be so boring. I'm going to have to say real. Okay. Well, I'll just put the bike away then. <laughs> Can I keep the bib? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, sweet. You know what drives me crazy? Um, I used to see this in Ottawa all the time uh, when I was coming home from work in the winter. In like the dead of winter at 6 p.m., you'd see groups of people uh, running together like just jogging outside and be like, why the fuck do you have to run in (laughs) minus 40? And not only that, but, but they're wearing like that, that cyclist leotard thing, which they're sort of pretending is keeping them warm because of the innate body heat that they're throwing from all of their physical exertion. It's a very, very pretentious uh, way of working out. Cause it's like, you're like literally saying like, I need to take care of my body so much that I'm willing to withstand the worst elements to demonstrate how fucking committed I am. Like, why don't you just go to a fucking fit less? I think that people who are super into running have moved past, like for me, if I were to, I've, I have run uh, very badly, but kind of <laughs> like how the cyclist would be that, that cyclist is how I run. <laughs> and it really just is because it's like a an easy way to kind of stay in shape. But I think people who do it a lot, they really do like get a kick out of it. And I think they really love it. I know. I think it's sick as much as you do, but I think they really love it and they get a lot out of it. Like I'm speaking as someone who uses a, like a stationary bike uh, like once a week, but it's like, so I get like you get high off the endorphins and stuff, but I wouldn't like risk fucking uh whatchamacallit, uh, frostbite, just to go for a fucking run, you know? It's the, the, the silliest thing. I really thought you were going to say nipple chafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, those leotards have to cause nipple chafing, you'd think. Uh, you can wear tassels or tape. Mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot, do a lot of people go around with, like, like tassels when they're running around? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. You can start that as a avid cyclist. Well, you can, if you take the, if you take the no wheel. <laughs> so, Jamie, is that also... Real for you? I think I would, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I think I would no wheel for that, to be honest. You would take it. Yeah, I like cardio, yeah. but I still understand that I would be insufferable. <laughs> Jessica is putting on the bike helmet. Bike helmet. So grab my, uh, uh she's getting her to bike. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and all of my very, this is the problem with a multi use room. Everything just fell down. <laughs> All right, so you're doing it, Jamie. You're going to become that guy. Yeah, I'm still trying to think of a goddamn wheel breaker. It's all right if you don't have one. As I clatter around here in the background. <laughs> I just feel like I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm blanking completely. Are you sure? It feels like you have one, but you're like, not sure of it. No, I can't. <laughs> Your face is telling me that you have a wheel breaker. We don't have to do it. Do you want to just call it? You can try one. If it doesn't work, we can just cut it. Okay. Okay, so you get to be 100% able-bodied, but you have to announce immediately whenever you realize that you are uh, attracted or aroused by someone. 
announce like loudly. Like right as soon as you realize that. Oh, just like no filter. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> this uh, is where we find out if uh, if Anthony is attracted to very inappropriate people. <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, I don't think I don't think I'd be doing any disservice to people. I think if anything, I'd just be afraid that I would out myself as saying it too often. <laughs> That's what would happen. What if it was the way you said it too? What if it was something yeah. like, ooh, hot mama, peppy like? What if it, yeah, what if it was like, <laughs> what if it was inappropriate like, like that? Yeah. If I have to go, ooh, hot mama, peppy like <laughs> every time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that does sound fun, honestly. It would probably work for a certain subset of women. Mm-hmm. True. They'd be like, ooh, mommy like. <laughs> um, and you would just magnetically move toward each other. Yeah, I think that's what I would end up with. So that would be really fun. I'm not sure if the person I would attract is the person I would be <laughs> most trying to attract. But I like the confidence of myself in this hypothetical. To just be able to yeah. Because usually I'm the very opposite. I'm like, I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to be very explicit. So right. I kind of like the confidence of, yeah, just without a filter, happy link. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be worried for you if it was in like a formal workplace setting or it was like <laughs> one of your para drivers. Or it's like a job interview. Oh, anywhere, yeah. 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 I like really want the job. Like, do you have any requirements or make accommodations? Just please have it be an ugly interviewer, please. That's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I only speak to I only speak to a certain kind of person. And you send right. along a few pictures of <laughs> photographs as reference. <laughs> Imagine it's like your dental hygienist and like she pauses to like stop from cleaning the plaque in your teeth so you can talk to her for a moment. And that's the lie that you give her. Like. <laughs> or, she, or like she's cleaning my teeth and I just keep going, oh, no, no. Just like, what was that? What was sorry, that? What was that? No, <laughs> One more time. <laughs> and just, <laughs> she takes it out and I just scream, puppy like. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay, well, you have no cavities. You're free to leave. <laughs> you have no cavities. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious, but also devastating to my dating game. You don't know. Maybe it could, like, it would be like the sequel to Yes Man. Yes Man 2, puppy like. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Jerry would do a great Pop Mama puppy like. <laughs> he really would. He would. <laughs> he would sell it. I yeah. really would say that if I could do it like him, like if I could really perfect the delivery of the line. You kind of have Jim Carrey hair. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you it has do. height. It does. You look like Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura is my style icon. He's a lot of a lot of people's. Yeah, especially if you go to Hawaii. That sweater makes you look like you're gonna go skiing after the podcast, though. Is that true? Cool. I'm glad that worked out. I was trying to phrase it in a non pervy way. 
<laughs> I think it would end up coming off as pretty pervy. I also pervy feel like it, the, the next, the, we, there, if we were to actually put this magic spell into place, I think there would have to be a few more steps of like, okay, what if they're receptive? What then? And then it's like, like, like there's a few steps, you know? Like, like, what kind of apology you're allowed to do? Like, oh, so sorry. That was my pants talking, not me. <laughs> you know? Like, just want to, like, you know, so if we're about to call the local witch to make it happen, I feel like we need to take a few more steps. Is that doing it? Do you see what you missed out on? Oh, yeah. Come on. I was, uh, yeah, well, you know what? Like I said, he has every right. I, I think he was just visiting New York anyway. Just sli- just sliding, just left and right, just left and right. <laughs> Unacceptable. So wait, how many steps would he have to like execute before he could stop? You know, because eventually. <laughs> well, these are questions for the local witch. I have to be. I have to be frank. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think the three. I think witch. three is is enough. I think. I think. Ooh, ooh, mama, pappy, like, and then ha, cha, 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 and then like it's like a branch, like an RPG, and then the third <laughs> one, and then if it keeps going on, it has to be like, um, my place. Your place, any place, darling. The <laughs> <laughs> so does not seem on brand for the rest of it. <laughs> That's so funny to go from puppy like darling. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know what? We'll see what the local witch has to say about it. She might have some notes. <laughs> I was just like, imagine getting to step three on the dentist chair. <laughs> <laughs> I know that this would be devastating to myself, but. I feel like I would at least get an Instagram following. Yeah, I think so. I we could change darling after hotcakes. That feels more appropriate to the character, right? That does feel more on brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your place, my place, any place, hotcakes. There we go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll do it just for the clout. Yeah. For the clout. Yeah, I I I like this a lot for you. I think this is going to be a good move. Um, Thank you. I think you're going to get a lot of ladies and gents. I don't know what what your right. flavor is. Whatever you want, you can get. I mean, if puppy like, <laughs> Fappy like, puppy like. <laughs> I do see it as being fully pappy, like a like a, oh, like a West Virginia style pappy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, puppy like. That is more fun to say. Yeah, pretty fun. Well, this has been the most fun. I've had such a good time. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on. What a blast. I really, really hope we can do this again. I would love to have you on again or watch a movie with you again. I would be Your honored. commentary while we were watching the movie made this movie worth it. Because like I said, I don't really care about true crime and I also wasn't sure what the vibe was going to be for this episode. Because, like, true crime is hard to be funny, talking yeah. about murder. And you were in st- your first comment in the chat when you were watching the movie was the first crime was naming her Gypsy. And it was just all uphill from there. It so really funny. was. It really well, was. I'm happy to be irreverent about others' pain. If there's one thing I want to be known about <laughs> and known for, it's just feeling free to throw those yucks onto a fire of misery. Same. 
Papulite. Papulite. How is she going to put out the fire without the yucks? Without the yucks, you need the yucks. Well, I, it was an, a true honor to be on and uh, and at, at, at any time. I mean, I, I know that, that the one thing this show needs is more able-bodied people. I'm sick of Agreed. this. So many people on here just <laughs> highlighting disability. Come on. We don't talk about able-bodied representation enough. I know. When, yeah. when are the, where are all the movies with people who aren't? Uh, disabled, please. Right. Agreed. I need a podcast like that. Where's that podcast? <laughs> so... If Zach Daniel is listening to this and he wants to change his mind, or if someone else decides they want to swipe right on you, how do they get in touch with you? Well, uh, I am uh, just wrapping up my involvement on Made Up Talk Show, which is a podcast. We had 71 episodes out, so go listen to that. Follow us on the socials there. It's a great podcast, so check me out there. Um, also, feel free to, you know, send me an email if you want to hang out and be friends. Um, gosh, let's see. You know what? Go go through Cripple Thread. Let's have them be the vetters. Uh, reach out to them, and, and I'll see. I'll let you guys be my chaperone, you know, like in the... And the what when, when was like Antoni Gaudi around like the late late eighteen <laughs> like early nineteen hundreds like they'd have a chaperone walking you everywhere yeah. that's the life I want I want you guys to be my chaperones I gotta be honest I'll probably filter nothing okay send it on along I will just send everything to them okay I'm like how do you like this dick pic. I, I, you know what? I used to tell people, uh, there used to be a running gag on made a talk show that I, uh, I solicit any dick pic, butt <laughs> pics. There's no such thing as too many. I, I know people, people seem to be bothered by that. I don't like what you're doing because you said, <laughs> I want a bunch of <laughs> dick pics. Send I it to like, cripple threat at yeah, gmail.com. That's what they need. Come on. Really helpful. As many as possible, folks. Go uh, hanging, tighten, tighten, <laughs> tighten loose. Whatever you got, send it on over. They want it. They're begging for it. I'm so glad Jamie handles most of mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the best. I had such a good time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, so great. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.